I don't want you to ask to respond or, or to my question, but have you had a great week or have you had a, a trying week? You know, I was thinking how the, the scripture says that God has made us more than conquerors. More than conquerors. That we're more than overcomers. What a amazing position to be living life from is victors. Absolutely. And uh, so uh, the circumstances might not attest to that, but the word does. The word does. You can begin to put some joy into your life if you begin to see life and operate in life from the perspective of you being more than a conqueror and a victor. Amen? Absolutely. You know, last week we talked about recovering the sonship spirit and trying to remove the, uh, the orphan spirit. And it's so important and so, uh, uh, so powerful for us to capture this, the sonship spirit that it says that, that all creation is waiting for us to get a hold of who we are in Christ Jesus. And that... that that, that truth and how that, that's, that's, a, that's, that's part of the revival that's on the forefront of the Holy Spirit today is, is for us capturing that sonship spirit and what that means. Our hearts begin to turn to the Father and understand the, the relationship that's between us and him and then from the realm of father to son and son to father here on earth. This morning I want to talk to you about living by the power of grace. Living by the power of grace. Grace is the main event of the scripture. It's the main event. Grace is not just a get out of jail free card. But rather it's a profound measure of God that operates in our life in perfecting obedience, bringing holiness and responsibility in our lives. Grace is really the DNA of God. Second Corinthians chapter eight and verse nine, I don't know if we have that. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. The incarnation is the poverty that Jesus took. From the deity, from the glory, from the role and the realm, when he became man, the poverty. He became poor that you through his poverty might become rich. My. Next verse, please. We'll read him and then we'll preach from him. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was in me. Is there one more? But grow in grace. In knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to him be glory, be the glory both now and forever. Amen. Is that the last one? Yeah. There's so many passages of scriptures on grace. And it, it just is impossible to, to, to define grace and, you know, and, and exhaust grace because if you could do that, you could define God. You could exhaust God. And so, you know, grace, known by most people as merely the, the unmerited favor of God. But it's such an incomplete definition of grace. Grace is the favor of God that gives us the power of God. And the power of God for everything that we need in life and in godliness. That's what the scripture says in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. As his divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. So grace is not just for the natural realm of life. Grace is for us becoming, you know, like the God of grace. Grace is free. But the only reason grace is free is because he has given himself at tremendous cost. The price of grace is the cost that Jesus Christ what a wonderful 
Grace is more than an item. Grace is a person. The person of Jesus Christ. The grace of God hath appeared. Where did it appear? And we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus Christ is the grace of God. In him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In him are all the treasures and the riches of the Almighty. Grace is not just unmerited favor, it's divine gifts. It's sufficient power. And you can get more grace. Oh, hallelujah. Through grace, it's the basis of our identity. It's the basis for our standing before God. It's the basis for our behavior in the world. It's our way of living. It's our way of speaking, our way of serving for grace's graciousness. Paul said that grace was his sufficiency. Grace is our response to difficulty and suffering. Grace is how we participate in God's mission. Grace is our future. Grace is our hope beyond death. Grace is a divine power made available through us, through his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus is the fullness of grace. The fullness of grace. Grace is more than a disposition. It's God acting on our behalf before we had any chance or even knew about who we were and what we were and why we would need grace in the first place. It's God coming to us, not as first, not us coming to God first. Some unique things about grace is grace grows best in the winter. In times of need, grace is at its best in your life and in my life.
When we are our weakest, grace is at its strongest. Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, when I am weak, then I am strong. Grace is finding out who God is in his fullness. Many people know God or grace in acceptance. But they're unfamiliar with grace, you know, in its power. The acceptance of grace and the great arms of grace that takes the the vilest of sinner is willing to cover him and forgive him and embrace him and bring him into the family of God. But then there is that power of grace that becomes a sufficiency for us in in life. So the acceptance of grace, the work of grace, the power of grace, and the evidence of grace. So we're not just this morning talking about how grace makes us accepted, how grace positions us in right standing, you know. But grace also teaches us how to live in a wise, right way. Titus chapter 2, for the grace of God has appeared unto all men, teaching us. Who was the first teacher of grace? Jesus Christ. Teaching us the denying ungodliness and worldly lust that we should live soberly and righteously in this present world. The dynamics of grace. Is not just saving us, but teaching us. Scripture after scripture on grace. Grace is the measure of God in a day-to-day basis for you and I's life. He is the El Shaddai, the all-sufficient one. He's the Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides. 2 Corinthians 9, 8, God is able to make all grace abound toward you. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 29, to him who can do exceedingly and above all we ask or think according to the power that works in us, that power of grace. What is it that gives peace? What is it that gives justification? What is it, you know what I mean, that, that has all these wonderful, you know, spiritual gifts that we have? His grace. It's a measure of, measure of God. When Paul said in Ephesians, or Philippians, he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He's talking about the power of grace in his life. When Paul, you know, was dealing with, you know, some shortcomings in his own life, in this case it happened to be a physical thing that he had to endure. He said the, the catalyst 
and the overpowering victorious thing that's, that's going to make me through, help go through this and, and I can handle it. That's what he's saying. I can handle this is the grace of God because he heard the voice of grace say, my grace is sufficient for you. God doesn't always get you out of things, but he'll always give you grace for the things. Somebody give the Lord a praise. You may not always get out of the things, but you will have grace for the things. That's the assurance. That's the power of grace. Grace is God's love and manifestation and in operation. See, when Adam fell, God could have restrained love and displayed wrath, but instead he manifested grace. Loving kindness and favor and mercy toward sinful man. Grace happens in a great exchange. That great exchange, of course, is the Lord Jesus Christ. A great example of grace is in the life of a, a man named Mephibosheth in the Bible. Mephibosheth is the son of Jonathan. The kingdom of Saul has now you know, fallen and the kingdom of David has risen and which was notoriously in the minds of people whenever there was a change of kings they would normally get rid of all of the previous king's posterity. That was the norm. And so when they found out a, a nurse of, of this young boy at five, I believe he was, a nurse decided that she was going to try to save her posterity of Saul, in this case, actually Jonathan. She, she grabs him, and obviously at five, you're going to go ahead and, and uh, uh, you know, let the little guy run alongside of you, but somehow in the process of the running, the little guy couldn't keep up, and so she decided she would help him and she took him and as she's running with him she falls and they both fall the end result of that is Mephibosheth is crippled unable to motivate or walk himself and in this process he ends up in a different place, a different land. And so David comes on the scene. David makes a question of, is there anyone who is of the household of Saul that's still alive? And of course, fear runs through out those that would have still been alive because the general order would be that they want to find you to kill you. 
And so David says, is there anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Grace. God's grace starts in the throne room. David is now king. And in his throne room is king. He is looking for that one or that someone to bestow unmerited favor and do something very special for his life based upon a relationship. And so grace began and begins in the throne of God. It was God that decided. I want your future to be different. Grace not only begins in the throne room of God, and I hope you can capture that, that this is God's idea. I become overwhelmed by grace. Grace looks for you. You don't look for grace. Grace wants to put favor on your life. Grace wants to, you know, empower your life. So I began to ask, where is or is there anyone? Grace remembers us. Mephibosheth, forgotten by his nation, abandoned by his family, crippled by a fall. But out of grace, he's remembered. Helpless, in no position to help himself. The very place that he had ended up in is called Lodabar, which means there was no pasture. It was barren. It was desolate. It was a hiding place. Grace finds you. Grace sends out his messengers. I want to do good to you. So grace brings the message, delivers the message, 
begins to, you know, the message is what I have in store for you, but you can't get from your crippled place to the place that the blessing is in store. Where is it at? It's at the king's table. It's in the king's family. It's in the environment, the protection of the king. But here you are, distant, far away. You have an invitation, but you can't get to the place where the promise of the invitation gets fulfilled. And so David sends his men and picks up Mephibosheth, who's handicapped. No mode of transportation, no way of getting from here to there. And they carry him all the way to the king's house. Wherein the king says, you will not only sit at my table, you will not only be cared for by my provision, but I'm going to restore to you your father's inheritance. He says, all the land of Saul and you're going to receive. Capture this now. Not only does he say that I'm going to give you, you know, the family inheritance, but I'm going to provide the laborers to care for the family inheritance because of your inability to be able to function and operate. Sometimes grace restores wholeness so that you can do it yourself. And sometimes grace provides the assistance so that it will be done. It carries us. Grace is where you abandon your crippled past. Fresh starts, new beginnings. Somebody says, Well, how many fresh starts and new beginnings do you get? I don't know.
I don't know. Yeah? Amen. I don't know. Physically handicapped, emotionally handicapped. His own perception of himself said, I'm a dead dog. Grace comes to change the image that you have of yourself. That has crippled you and invaded you from the events that have happened in the past. Grace is where you discover what, who you were meant to be. Grace is where you embrace God's favor at his son's expense. At his son's expense. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. Because of Jesus Christ. We're able to sit at the king's table. We're able to walk in the power the provision of the promise of grace. Grace had to rescue him. I don't always know the vehicles that grace uses, but I want you to know that grace always does what it says. Grace. Grace is where you live in the achievement of another. David did not send from a Shibbeth, based upon his record. He sent for Mephibosheth based upon Jonathan's record. Oh, hallelujah. God's pleased with Jesus. God's pleased with Jesus. That's how you start. That's how you get where you need to go. Is... Because God's pleased with Jesus. 
this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Grace. There are some factions in the church with regarding grace. Regarding grace. To the point that we can almost get argumentative and I think we just need to capture what grace is and what has went into grace. Grace is of great value. It's free to you, but it costs a lot to initiate. It costs a lot. There is no price that's ever been paid for something so, you know, necessary and yet so valuable than always paid for grace. So that you didn't have to measure up to receive it. Hallelujah. You just had to believe in the one who is grace. And that's Jesus Christ. It's not just an item. Grace is a person. When grace is an item, we just use it. When we understand that grace is a person, we will embrace him. Grace. Grace. Is grace a license to sin? Paul answers it very clearly. Dead people don't sin. That's what it says. Now, grace has such a profound effect upon our lives that it not only changes our state or our, our, our statues, but it changes our practice. Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbids. How can they who are dead to sin live any longer therein? It's foreign to grace to just you know ignore what grace has done and that is it has set you free so why would you go back from something that you needed to be set free from now I did not say we would not sin but we have a brand new nature 
We have a brand new affection. How does grace reign? Paul said that grace reigns through righteousness. Righteousness and grace. Help. They're one. Grace. You fall in love with the one who brought us grace. Oh, hallelujah. What about grace, grace? Living by grace. Paul functioned and operated in grace. Not just favor, but power. Not just in position, but in practice. This is the fact of the matter this morning that grace accepts us if we accept Jesus Christ. But grace doesn't just accept us. Grace trains us. It trains us. We don't, always tra- we don't all train at the same rate. We don't. But that doesn't make grace any less, you know, powerful and for the individual that doesn't train at the same rate as you do. How often should we bear with the sinner that's sinning? I'm not talking about the non-believer now. I'm talking about should my brother sin against me? How often? Aren't you glad God's margin is pretty, pretty high, pretty wide? Is he, is, he, is he saying, you know what I mean, well, it's just a license to just go on and, and do it? They haven't found the power of grace for living. You can't find the power of grace for living until you find the power of grace for position and discovering the spirit of sonship. The spirit of sonship. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have access. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have, how does it go? We have, we have access. Let me read it. I should know it. Don't tell anybody. Cut that out when they put it on the thing that a preacher doesn't know. Romans 5, 1. That's bad. That's bad. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. There, missed that one. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, 
through whom also we have access by faith into his grace. We just need more grace in our life. You know, and that grace is not just simply graciousness, but it's, you know, grace in power. Grace is it functions and operates in our lives. You don't have to keep sinning because grace is a greater power than the sin nature is. It really is. Amen? Praise God. Would you stand with me? Give the Lord a praise and, and you know, yes. Perspectives of grace, there are many. We just can't fight about grace. You just have to discover grace. Got to discover grace. And I just go, whoa. That's what I do. Whoa, grace. Where would I be? What would I do? I get up, you get up, we function, we operate. Grace. It might be so normal, but it's grace. Grace. And grace is being gracious without a doubt being gracious. So Father, we want to thank you this morning that though it's beyond us, it's beyond me to try to articulate the wonders of your grace. We do believe in your grace. We believe in your Son, Jesus Christ. We believe in God the Father, we believe in God the Son, we believe in God the Holy Spirit. And we believe, Lord, that we don't deserve any thing of merit on our own. But we enter into the wonderful riches of the Almighty God through His grace. your grace your acceptance oh hallelujah Paul said I am what I am because of God's grace God's grace operated in my life me cooperating with the grace of God. See, grace, grace is against earning, but it's not against effort. Paul said, 
I labored more abundantly, yet not I the grace of God that was within me. Grace takes a hold of our hand and says, come on. You either resist it or you just go ahead and yield to it. And as you yield to it, you know what I mean? All the measures, everything that's the king's table now becomes yours. The first thing he does is deal with the sin that is in us because that's what hinders us and separates us. Some God is still trying to teach and they haven't got it yet. But, you know, my brother's 83 years old and just in the last five years has got a hold of God's grace because we never took grace away from him. We never took grace away from him. He was always our brother. He was always our family. No matter what, he was always belonged. He was there. You don't have to do better for me to think better of you. You don't have to. And all of a sudden, because grace is given, grace results start taking place. They do. You just can't beat grace.